Well, we're talking about this series on what is a healthy church, and we heard our scripture. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10. We will also be taking a stab at Luke. Uh, we're going to look at Luke 18 and Luke 19. And so if you want to put, um, uh, if you are opening your Bibles, then you can put a piece of paper in Luke 18 and 19. And, uh, and, and not, if you have your phone, you can put a, a bookmark in uh, your phone as well. They have that option. Uh, but uh, don't get distracted by all the uh, people talking on your phone. So anyway, but uh, I still love the Bibles. Reach for the Bible, man. It, uh, and if it's falling apart, great. So as we uh, go to our text, let's stop and pray. I encourage you to uh, continue to pray. Uh, there's fires here in Washington, but uh, there's some major ones going on in Reading. Um, the Shasta Bible College, where I've gone and spoken a few times, and I've sent kids from our church. Uh, they are now an evacuation center. Uh, an, a student of mine um, that I discipled for six years, he's a youth pastor there, and he's actually organizing and running their church as a whole evacuation center. Because they're on the completely on the other side of the fire uh, of where it's at, and so be praying for that. They are running ads on the TV and in the community that their doors are open. Please come, and they're providing a place for people that are they're, they're fearful, uh, they're hurting. Uh, there's all sorts of needs, uh, emotional needs, and so be praying for all those churches down there that are. Uh, going to meet those needs and then some with the gospel. And so it's been neat. Um, the, the student I was referring to, in the midst of all of this, they're having, uh, they're just sitting there in his house reading scripture and praising God and asking God for blessing. The president of the school, uh, the fire came sweeping down the ridge right at his house and him and his neighbor uh, did everything they could and, uh, and they were forced to evacuate. They evacuated and and um, the fire went completely through, and uh, his neighbor's house and his house were the only ones spared. And so um, they have mixed emotions. They're, they're com- they just feel so blessed, but they're also hurting for their neighbors and trying to talk to their neighbor. How do they talk to their neighbors? Here's the president of a Bible college. He's like, Lord, help me talk to my neighbors because it's going to be hard because I was blessed in how do I encourage them in the Lord when their house is gone. And so I'll be praying for them as they, they deal with that. And so a lot of friends, a lot of family, a lot of uh, believers that we know, and as they reach out, and that God may be glorified through all of this. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, and we are so grateful for what you have given us here in our town, our community, as we got to celebrate some of that yesterday. What a blessing that was, and a joy to spend time talking with people I've never met before and getting to know our community. And Lord, what a blessing um, just uh, to share about you and that uh, it was you that brought me here. And Lord, I just pray that we would continue to do all that we could do to glorify you as a church. Lord, we just thank you for that opportunity. And, And our heart goes out to those that are suffering and those that are hurting and are fearful of what they might lose or be afraid of how to deal with what they did lose. But Lord, may we give them hope, the hope that we have that no matter what, we cannot lose you. You are firm, you are fixed, you are truth in a world that doesn't have truth. 
And so, Lord, I pray that for those that are struggling, Lord, that you would give them a perfect peace that only comes through you. And, Lord, that many souls would get saved in the midst of so much loss. May they find that great, um, that great richness in who you are in the midst of all of this. And so, Lord, we pray for continued miracles and that your hand would continue to cover those and bless and, and keep the fire from uh, continuing to take lives and homes. And, and, Lord, but we ask that you would just continue to do your will, your perfect will, and that uh, you would give us uh, a reminder to, that there are many of those that are, Lord, that are dying outside of our church, outside of this body, outside of us as people that are, don't know you and that are condemned because of their sin. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the same urgency to go out and to meet those people and to share with them the gospel, the good news, that we have a payment for our sin. So Lord, I pray that you would provide all of that. Speak to us now as we spend time together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. What is a healthy church? Let me ask you, is it a church that is full of people, right? Is it a, you know, like what makes a healthy person? Have you ever thought about that? Because if you ever think about it, in answering that question, what makes a healthy church, you got to remember the church is not the building. It is us as a body of believers, as people. And so as we answer that question, you say, well, what, is, what makes a person healthy? Is it a refrigerator full of food? Or is it a refrigerator full of good food? Is there a cup? You know, my, my family would, or, you know, my kids would say it's a cupboard full of candy. That's, that's good, right? And uh, sometimes when we think of what's healthy, we think of what makes us feel good rather than what is healthy. And we live that way a lot of times, right? And so health is sometimes relative to our culture, to our community. So in answering this question, what is a healthy church? What makes us healthy? We have to be careful on how we answer that. And we got to be very specific. Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about what makes a church healthy is that understanding what evangelism is. Evangelism is what we do when we tell others about the gospel and doing it often. It's not about what a program does. It's what we do as individuals sharing the good news that Jesus paid for our sins. To evangelize, to evangel, to tell others. And that creates a healthy church if we are always focused about telling. By the way, you know when you're always focused about telling good news? It changes our attitude. It changes our perception. It changes what makes us happy, right? And so it's, it's, we're more happy about seeing other people come to the Lord than we are about feeling good or comfortable. And it's something to think about. I, wanna, I was looking at a doctor's journal. I was answering this question. I was getting real practical. I said, so what makes our body healthy? How can I tell if my body is healthy? Well, come to a doctor... There are three things that the body needs to do in order for our physical bodies to be healthy. Number one, the body must be active. It must be active. 
And more specifically than just the body being active, it needs cells to be active. Right? In order for the body to be healthy, it needs healthy cells. And it needs cells to be reproducing. We're talking about evangelism. But it needs active, healthy cells. If cells stop being active, guess what happens? The body becomes weak. That's what happens when, you know, when we get to 35 and older. Our cells begin to slow down. You ever ask, like, why am I you know, getting, I ask that myself all the time. Why am I losing energy? Well, I ain't a spring chicken anymore. I'm still young, but I'm not as young as I used to be. I used all my energy when I was in my 20s. (laughs) So here's the thing. we got to have active cells. If you stop using it, you lose it. Well, if your cells stop being used, they become inactive. And the more inactive they become, the more weak we become. So number one, we need active cells. Number two, the doctor said, is, is our cells need food. They need food. And that food, they get that food through the blood. Our blood nourishes our cells. And guess where the food in the blood comes from? It comes from what we digest through our digestive tract. We won't go into all of that. It's a pretty disgusting thing. But all that disgusting stuff inside actually produces food for our blood to help our cells to remain active. So we need good nourishment for the cells. Can you imagine if we put in bad nourishment? You know, fake food, sugar food, processed foods, all of those things. That's not necessarily good. They taste good, but it doesn't mean it's healthy, right? The third thing, so we don't just need, we need active cells. We need to nourish those cells. We need to give them food. But also, we have to get rid of, of waste. Hmm. Right? If have you ever people that have diverticulitis and they can't get rid of their waste, they have a major problem. Right? And you can die from it. It's and it's common. If you can't get rid of waste, you struggle. Your body becomes unhealthy. It becomes it becomes a pool of infection. And that's not good either. So they said it has to we need to get rid of waste. In order for cells to be healthy, they need those three things. They have to be active, reproducing, being active. They need to be fed. And they need to get rid of waste. You say, well, what does that have to do with the topic this morning? You'll have to listen at, for the conclusion because I'll tie it all in. Today we want to talk about In order to be healthy, we have to have a proper understanding or a good, a true understanding of conversion. Conversion, what is converting, right? Changing from one thing to something else, right? So, like if we're, you know, converting fractions, right? Hated that in in school. Uh, You know, it's like always forgetting to move the decimal point is always horrible, right? But you got to convert Guys, changing one thing to another thing. And we want to look at what is really conversion. The problem is, is it's sad, but a lot of churches and a lot of people today don't understand what does it mean to be converted. 
when we think of salvation, to be saved from our sins, when we think of evangelism, going telling people that they need to be saved from their sin, and we have good news because we have payment for our sin through Christ who died on the cross for our sins. He took our horrible life, our, our wretchedness, right? And he took, God took his righteousness and put it on the cross and transferred it to us so that way we can be seen righteous before God. He saved us from our sin, the consequences. And we tell people about that. And there needs to be a conversion that takes place. How many people have gone outside of the United States and tried to use something electrical that you brought with you? So you laugh, right? So what happens? I, I lived in Israel for six months and I've I traveled through Europe and one time I forgot to plug in the right adapter to convert the energy, right? The power. And what do you think happened? Something started smoking. I plugged it in and all of a sudden it couldn't handle the power. And it started to smoke. And I was like, ah! And it didn't work ever again. Right? Because it wasn't converted from the right power that I needed to the other power. I did that with, those of you that are older will understand that, you know, your Walkman, right? I had my Walkman, I plugged it in, not the CD kind, the, the tape kind. And uh, the ones that had the, you know, the reel-to-reel kind, you know, and I plugged it in, it was gone. Didn't work ever again. It was toast. Not understanding conversion can have detrimental effects to the church to the church body. And we're going to talk about that. There I, I was reminded of, a, as I was reading, I read a story about Spurgeon. And, you know, Spurgeon was a great evangelist, great preacher, amazing preacher. I love to study Spurgeon and how he preached and how he proclaimed God's word. And, and as he was talking about this Ephesians chapter 2 and the fact that God has made us alive and that he, there was a conversion that happened. And the fact that God took something that was dead and that God changed it and made it alive. And in that, that he was talking about, and he said that there was one day that a guy, he saw this guy drunk and having a hard time walking and just swearing and, and saying a lot of profanities, walking down the street. And, and he saw Spurgeon and he kind of you know, stumbled over to Spurgeon and said, hey, you know, I'm one of your converts. And Spurgeon just smiled back and he looked at him. And the report said this. He looked at him and he says, That's right, you must be one of my converts because you're definitely not one of God's. Think about that. And that's kind of what we want to think about as we look at the text in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's read it again and re- refresh ourselves. And what is conversion? Because we're going to see four main things that conversion is. Starting in verse 1, it says, And you he made alive. I want you to notice as we read, as we pause here and we read, I want you to notice the pronoun he, right? And the, the us or the we. Some of the translations, it's us or we or you. But you is in plural, okay? So one, he identifies God, and one is identifying us as a body of believers. Okay, listen, it says, and you, he, that is God, 
made alive who were dead in trespass and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature, by the way, in the Greek it says, we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. The others being those who haven't come to Christ. But, I, I love it when these verses are in the Bible. It changes everything, right? There's a conversion. There's something that happens. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that. He made us to sit together with Christ. Where did Christ go? Did he stay dead? No. He rose from the dead. He conquered death because he is God who lived a sinless life. And because he conquered sin and he conquered death, it says now because of Christ he makes us. Don't underestimate. He makes us to sit with Christ. It's interesting. That's a good thing to think about. That in the ages to come, verse 7, that, we, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The thing that we understand is, is this, is that conversion, when we think of conversion, we think of converting and somebody telling somebody about Christ and they're converting from their way of life to following Christ. And we say they were converted or they were saved. When we say, oh yeah, they got saved, that's another way of saying that they were converted. And conversion is this, it is a complete change of substance, Right? So if you take chemistry and you take water, H2O, and the elements of water, and you say, I'm going to convert it to acid, right? And you go and test it, and it still comes out H2O. Was it converted? No, you have to, you have to change it, right? The substance has to change. You have to add something to it to change, so you get a completely different reading. There has to be a change to the substance. It has to be, for a believer, the Bible is telling us that it is a complete U-turn. In in our text, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that you were dead and you are now what? Still dead? If you were still dead, would there be a conversion? No, you're alive. You're alive because who made you alive? God made us alive. We are alive because of his work. Not because of our work, but because of his work. So a true conversion, a conversion is a change of substance. It's something that has changed. We see that there's a very real change here. So we can't go running around and say if there has been no change in substance, we can't say that there's been a conversion, right? But that's common today. 
That's common today. We listen to words of people, but yet we don't listen to the actions or heart of people. Listen to Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Praise the Lord, we don't have to just lay ourselves on the altar and die physically. But he, he's telling us that we should die to ourselves spiritually, that our life is no longer about us, but it is about him. Listen, it says that you may be a living, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a renewing, there's a transformation that takes place. There's a change of substance. John 3, 3, when somebody came and asked Jesus, well, how do, how do I know that I have eternal life? And God, and Christ said to the, to the Pharisee, he says, you, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There's a transformation. We're, we can't just be born in this world without a different transformation. We have to be changed. So when we start and we talk about what does it mean to be saved, what does it mean to be converted, there is a change that takes place. And that change is the work of God. By the way, this helps us to evangelize. This helps us to tell people about God because it's not, it, we're supposed to join God in his work, but we need to realize it's not our work, it's his work. He changes people. A lot of evangelism is wrong because it's about me focused on me being able to change somebody's mind. But guess what happens? If you change somebody's mind, as soon as they find a different argument, that'll change their mind. People come and people go because we win an argument either by entertaining them, we win an argument by being more intellectual than them, we win arguments by being more friendly than other people, we win arguments all sorts of different ways. But true conversion is a work of God. Don't underestimate this. It's everywhere you look through scripture. Like Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you, who began the work? Christ, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted us to be able to even believe. Not only that, but it's been granted to us to suffer just as Jesus suffered. I mean, if you look at Ephesians 2, he made us alive. He, he did this. He gave us his riches. He did, he did, he did, he did. He says, we were, we were this, we were this, we were this, we were empty, we were dead, we were, we were without mercy, we were without grace, we were without, we were without. But Christ, isn't that awesome, verse 4? That, just, that should excite us. Conversion is the work of God. It also is, conversion is revealed by repentance. How do we know somebody is converted? How do we know there's a true conversion? Because we see repentance. That's all, always been Jesus' message. Mark 1.15, right from the beginning. He says, this is my message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Not believe as in no, repent and trust 
in my message. Trust me. Put your faith and trust in me. Not in your ability, not in your works, not in your decision. Trust in what I did and what I will do. Conversion is a work of God and we see it, the evidence of conversion. We see an evidence of salvation in repentance. Luke 13, 3 says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Have you ever thought about that? Conversion is revealed by repentance. We can't have really, there is no true conversion without repentance. Repentance is that act of conversion. It's saying, Lord, I am horrible. I am a sinner. I have no rights. I don't deserve to live with you. But, and I'm going to turn to you and trust you. You turn your back on your life and you turn to the Lord. It's turning from your way to his way. Your way leads to death, right? In the way in uh, Proverbs, it's quoted many times in Proverbs, at least four times I've found. It says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to death. It's saying, Lord, my way is not right. I need your way. I need your payment for my sin. That's what real conversion is evidenced by. That's what we see, that somebody is really saved. You know, it's like, you know, it's like somebody saying, I'm sorry, and then just walking out and shooting somebody again, right? And then saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, but I really like to kill somebody. Uh, That's just, it makes me feel good, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Are they really repentant, even though they say they're sorry? You know, do we trust kids when they say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, but then do the same thing again that you just told them not to do? Oh, I'm sorry. Eventually, does sorry mean anything? No, it it shows that there's been no change. They're still disobedient, right? If they continue to do the same thing that they've been doing over and over and over again. Number four is conversion is having a new love and a new life. Did you notice that? He says in verse 2 in Ephesians, it says, in we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sin. And in which you once walked. And that you once desired. You once followed. Do you understand that idea of once? Once means that you used to be that way, but you now are what? Different. You're changed. You have a new love. By the way, that love is a new desire for. You have a new life, right? You have, a, you have a newness about you. You're different. When somebody says, I remember you, I was, we were down at Pioneer Park, you know, with all the celebrations, and there was, everybody was talking, there was all these reunions going on. I was like, wow, there's all these reunions. They're like, how long, you know, have you gone to school here in, in Ferndale or Whatcom County? And there were all these reunions, and they were having this 20th reunion And I was hearing people say, yeah, you know, they used to be this way, but they're a lot different now. Uh, One person was like, oh, yeah, I loved loved hanging out with them in high school, but I don't really care for them anymore. They're different. I heard the other people say, you know, I didn't really care for them in high school, but they're really a lot different now. When people come up to you that knew you when you were a kid, do they say, wow, you're really different now? 
It always scares me when people come up to me and say, you're the same person. I was like, why do you say that? It's like, oh my goodness. I was like, Lord, have I changed? And they're like, no, you still love people and you're still excited about the Lord. And I was like, oh, phew. It's like, what do you mean I'm the same? It's like, what did I do? When it means that we have a new following. We have a, we're a new groupie, right? We hang out with different people. We desire things that are different. We have new desires, new love. We have a new work, right? Verse 10, what did he say? He created us for his workmanship, for his good works. We have a new job. When, we, when conversion means having a new love. Now, because we've already run out of time, because I'm trying to stress this is what conversion is, I want to give you two ideas, and then we're going to, Close, but two ideas. In Luke chapter 18, you have the rich young ruler, and Luke 19, you have Zacchaeus. Now, the chapter is not supposed to be there to take away the context, right? It's not just because it's a new chapter doesn't mean that there's a new topic. It is actually a continuation on the same topic, dealing with salvation or dealing with conversion. And and Luke 18, of course, this. Rich young ruler comes and he, he's speaking to Christ and now he comes to him and he says, good teacher. By the way, he sees him as a teacher, not as Christ, not as God. And he says, what must I have to have eternal life? Jesus answered him in verse 19. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good. No, not one. And he says, and he goes on and says, have you kept all the commandments? And the, the guy goes, yeah, I've done all of that. And then some. Right? He's like, I'm a good person. I'm great. And he says, good, now go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have eternal life. And what does the guy do? Why? Because he was real rich. And Jesus always, isn't it amazing how the Bible does that and how Jesus always goes right to the heart? He doesn't deal with any of the, it doesn't matter how good, he didn't go into the detail, he didn't argue with him about how good he was, he just went right to the heart. Right? And, and, Zacchaeus, right, is interested, says, wow, I'm going to go see who this Jesus is. He's amazing. He's healing people. There's all sorts of things going on. And he goes to Jesus, and he gets up in the tree because he was like some of us, you know, shorter in stature, kind of like Kaylee. But uh, let's pick on Kaylee day today. So, Lyle, you weren't supposed to tell on me. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> oh, I'll hear about it later. So, Zacchaeus climbs out of the tree, I'm going to see God, right? And Jesus says, no, I want to really show you who I am. I'm going to go to your house. He's like, oh my goodness, he's going to see all of my sin. No, he says, he said, come. He received him with great joy. And he came to Jesus' house and he says, and after listening to Jesus, he says, I am going to give back to everybody that I stole from four times over. I'm going to do everything I can to make it right. And Jesus says, today there is salvation in this house. So think about this. Two exactly similar people that had great wealth and great riches, two different responses. One not converted, one converted. Look at this. Both men were interested in Jesus. Two different outcomes. 
Both men were rich. Two different outcomes. Both men were willing to, willing to be receptive and listen to Jesus. Two different outcomes. Both men were seeking eternal life. Two different outcomes. If we look at the commonality of all of this, by many church standards, both walked away saved. I want you to think about that. By many people's standards and church standards, both of these people would be considered a Christian. And I've even seen it. I was at a camp one time where somebody said, oh, oh, that's okay. They, they'll, they, they came to Jesus their own way. I was like, wait a minute, isn't there only one way? And they said, oh, yeah, well, we, we, I'm sure that rich young ruler got saved. I'm sure he's saved. It's interesting. But Jesus only, in the same context, Jesus only pronounced one to be saved. And so here's the thing. There's a big difference. One loved worldly riches. The other one loved God more than himself. Do you see the conversion? One turned away. One turned to God, turned to Christ. Received him with great joy, even in the midst of feeling guilty about what he used to be like. The other one would turned away and he was what? He had great sorrow. But it was worldly sorrow. It was worldly sorrow. You know, a lot of times we think because somebody is feeling sorry that they're converted, but we got to ask, where is their sorrow coming from? Is it because they feel guilty or is it because they're repentant and they're turning to God? Zacchaeus had true repentance because his whole life changed. You see the contrast between the two? You look at these, these are meant to be contrasting. Jesus used these two as a very telling contrast of what real salvation looks like. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly sorrow produces death. True repentance, godly grief produces life and no regret. It's the difference between kids begrudgingly doing their obedience, and kids truly loving to obey. This is what conversion is not. It's not a one-time event with no implications. So he goes, yeah, I remember I got saved. I, I said a prayer. And then their whole life never changed. I'm like, wait a minute. Why has your life never changed? Well, I never was really in love with God. Bingo. There was no change. I can't tell you. I had a guy that I met in Eureka, California, came to our church he was looking for a church and he couldn't find a church that he knew was godly church and finally one of the girls in our youth group invited him says you need to come to my church and he, he grew up in Humboldt County and he went he goes one day he decided you know it'd be a cool thing to to learn more about the bible and I think you know he he, he made a salvation experience and said hey come forward and be saved at the big, huge youth group that he went to. He says, if you come forward, you're going to be saved. If you make a decision for God today. And so he came forward and he goes, I'm saved. Yeah. And, and so he says, you know, I want to learn more about the Bible. I'm going to go to Bible college. So his mom, who wasn't even a believer, 
said, oh, I heard this guy on the radio, this John MacArthur guy. He sounded pretty good. Why don't you go to his Bible college? It's called the Master's College. And so he did. And he went to the Master's College to study the Bible. And he was there for a whole year. The next year, he went to Israel like I did to study over there. And while he was in Israel, he got saved. He goes, I was never saved. I just liked God. I liked what God had to offer but I never changed. And sadly, there are a lot of people like that in churches that are told to believe God, but they don't understand what it means to trust God. They've never repented of their sins. It's not optional, by the way. It's commanded that we have to. We have to be repentant. By the way, it's, uh, it's, a, it's not... <laughs> conversion, being saved, is not a conversation or belief or knowledge, belief, right? This should, this should scare some of us. James chapter 2, right? Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It's not... I'll never forget the day that I opened up my door and there was a kid that was yelling and screaming and angry at God. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. He was pounding on my door. That's what happens when you live right next to the church. Everybody knows where you live and you get woken up. And there was a guy that had gone to one of these big rallies and they told him, hey, just stand up, come forward, and you're saved. And he says, and he did that. And he says, but my last... You know, four or five months have been the most miserable time of my life. God does not love me. And he just broke down. And he was mad. He was angry. He says, if God saved me, then why does not God love me? Why don't I love God? I was like, that's interesting. How do you know you're saved? And he said, well, I got up and went forward. They told me I was saved. It's not a conversation or belief. Sometimes we have conversations with people and they say, yeah, I know God is. Great, you're saved. You're a Christian. No. Doesn't always mean that. That it changes the way we share the gospel, the good news. Who is Jesus, by the way? Because sometimes I don't even know who Jesus is. I think, well, he's just a good teacher. It's not some magical prayer, stand up, raise your hand, right? That's not what conversion is. It's not some magical prayer that you pray. By the way, I've never told anybody what to pray. I, it's amazing. When somebody knows they need to be saved, it's, I love their prayer. When they come to before God for the very first time, knowing who he is and knowing what he's done for them, it is unfiltered, just here I am, God, I need you. And it is so beautiful to see one's heart that's not tainted by some religious thoughts or religious, I have to do this. As we close, how do we know that the body is healthy? True conversion. Will we know the difference between knowledge of God and true, truly being saved by God and trusting in God? When we know what the difference is. Have you ever thought about what would happen if you brought in a bunch of people that you thought were the same as you, but they're not? What do you think is going to happen? 
If people, if we just tell people they're saved and we don't know and help them understand what being saved is, we're going to have a lot of people that are driven by the world conflicting with those who are trying to love Christ. A lot of conflict happens in church because we just simply tell people are saved rather than proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and how you have to present yourself to Christ. Remember, there are three things that your cells need in order to grow. They need to be active, right? We need God-activated believers in the church. People are truly activated by God, who have been made alive, not people who just know about God. We need truly activated believers. They've been activated by the Holy Spirit. We need real feeding. We need Christians who love Christ more than the world. We need Christians who are regularly digesting the word of God that's feeding the Holy Spirit in their life. Otherwise, the body won't be healthy. The third thing, remember the physical body needs to get rid of waste? Well, we need to get rid of sin. We need to be digesting the word of God and as it filters through our life and and filters out the sin in our life, we need to get rid of it. And not be ashamed of it. We need to be, yes, i got to get rid of it. And stop trying to hide it. We need humble believers who will live this way. This is a picture of a truly understanding of conversion. Active believers have been activated by Christ who are regularly loving God and digesting his word to filter out the waste in our life. That will create a healthy body. That will also help our cells to regenerate, which means we'll reproduce ourselves. We'll see people discipled. We'll see people get saved. We'll see the church grow beyond our wildest imagination. I I kept you 15 minutes longer, and I kind of don't apologize. (laughs) I know you're tired. I know we're hungry. You know, don't keep the people from the food, but I don't want to keep you from understanding what God is saying here. We want our church to be healthy. Please understand what does it really mean to be saved because if you're, otherwise you're just blowing smoke out there and you're creating confusion. Let's be very concise so that way God will grow the church because the gospel is here. Because our love for God is here. And we're okay with dealing with sin. We want to get rid of the waste. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about our sinful nature. Right? And if people walk away because of sin, then so be it. But we, go, we don't go after them to have sin in the church. We go after them that they would repent and, and have a great joy of their relationship with Christ. It's all about Christ, right? I don't, it's not about people agreeing with me. You should all be reading your Bibles and saying, yep, pastor's right. Or no, I don't understand this, pastor, because I don't see that in the Bible. You should filter everything I say through the Bible. Otherwise, there's no real growth. You just follow me. I'm just like all of you. By nature, a sinful person. And I need God's grace. So let's fill the church up with God's grace, with real conversion. Would you help me with that? I can't do it. 
I can't make the church healthy, but we can if we love God more than we love ourselves and we go out and we look for people to be saved and we understand what that is. So take the notes, study it some more because I left out a ton of stuff. I always have like 12 notes and I have to bring it down to six pages of notes. <laughs> so it's a struggle. Let's pray. Lord, we desperately need you. Lord, I pray that whatever we are dealing with as a body, that, Lord, we would humbly present our sin to you. That, Lord, we would not hide our sin. That, Lord, we'd stop being ashamed of our sin before others, but, Lord, that would cause us to hide it, but that, Lord, we would find grace and mercy and present ourselves to you to repent and change and be renewed. Lord, may we cry out to those that are around us that they're dying and that they're going to hell and that we would truly see people saved, that they would repent and that their life would change, that we would not be content with people living the same. If we truly want to see our community change, we truly want to be different, help us to see people truly come to you. May we understand what it means truly to be saved. We cannot continue to live the same way. We have to be different. We have to repent. We have to change. And it's, Lord, you who did the changing. So, Lord, I pray that with all my heart, that whatever someone's going through, whether it's sin or just struggles, they're having a hard time, Lord. I pray that you would encourage them today that, you, that they would see that your riches, your grace is enough. And that, Lord, that you saved them from their sin and that you, you didn't promise them an easy life, but you promised them a real life and real love, a real hand in their life. Lord, I pray with all my heart that we'd be a church that wants to see people truly saved. May that be on all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray.